0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords.
1: My name is John Keeley. This is a podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 361st show is Mr. E.J. Dionne, Jr., senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a syndicated columnist for the Washington Post, and prof- university professor in Foundations of Democracy and Culture at Georgetown University. Mr. Dionne will be talking to us about his book, Code Red, how progressives and moderates and can unite and save our country. Our history buff for today's show is Ed Broders, and Ed, you get the first shot. Thanks, John. Um, E.J., when I think about not just uh, the election, uh, should should Trump be, hopefully, uh, lose that election, but in terms of policies, whenever I think about this stuff, looming in the background is always the Supreme Court. And, you know, we're not talking uh, about really traditional conservative court. We're talking about some really radical views here. Um How does that affect, uh, or is this going to get in the
2: way of a lot of progressive policy actions? Yeah, I am very worried about the Supreme Court, because, you know, for many, many years, conservatives would talk about liberal judicial activism uh, when they were criticizing the Warren Court. But if you look historically at the actions of the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has much more likely, through much of our history, uh, was much more likely to be on the conservative side. And I think that you are seeing at this moment a really quite radical form of conservative judicial activism. Uh, The two obvious examples are the Citizens United decision, uh, which went back on, uh, depending on how you want to count, 30 years of precedent, or in some ways, all the you know a much longer uh, period where it was accepted that government could regulate the role of money in politics. And Citizens United kind of just opened the gates uh, to corporate money and all sorts of uh, financial engagement in politics. By the way, uh, the person who first really warned us against. This against the power of money in politics was a Republican named Theodore Roosevelt. He was the first supporter of campaign uh, finance reform. Um, the other decision is when they gutted the Voting Rights Act um, and took out the, the 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 section, knocked down the section of the act that allowed for enforcement. And so here you had a Supreme Court uh, that was really empowering uh, the already empowered and disempowering people who had had to struggle for their rights. And then you can go down a long list of other areas, particularly in the regulatory area, um, where uh, the Supreme Court um, has, you know, they've attacked the labor movement, they have attacked uh, environmental regulation, they've attacked labor regulation. And so I think we may, this is a history show, um, we may have a showdown not unlike the showdown that happened over the Uh, FDR, uh, over FDR's effort to pack the courts, because you can recall that the courts really tried to knock down a lot of the New Deal, and eventually um, uh, Roosevelt got enough appointments that the court changed, that Congress rejected the court packing, but I think you could have a real uh, small-D democratic crisis if you had a progressive government, and the court uh, in a very activist way started striking down uh, congressional enactment. So I agree with you. I think this is a very dangerous moment. Okay, okay John.
1: Um, so EJ, um, how do you sit there and think that there will be in the aftermath, because uh, we've been talking mostly about Trump, but of course in 2020 you have a lot of elections, of course at the local and state, and in the recent years Um, conservatives have pretty much taken control of the houses and the senates and the governorships of many of the states across this nation. Do you foresee um, maybe uh, uh, the pendulum swinging another way in 2020 that not only theoretically if Donald Trump loses, is they're going to have this this, uh, tidal wave of the same effect happening at local and state governments?
2: Well, you know, in my book, I have um, a chapter where I talk about what happened in the 2018 election. And I think it's very striking that in 2018, you really had a backlash at the local level. You had um, a whole series of states that shifted uh, from uh, Republican to Democratic, from Conservative, either to uh, liberal uh, or progressive, uh, right nearby where you are in Iowa, uh, you had the big swing in Kansas. In Kansas, I find a particularly um, interesting case uh, because um, it was it, 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 in Kansas, you had. I was trying to find something in my book, which I'll eventually find, um, but in Kansas, you had a very conservative. Um, governor, uh, Sam Brownback, who slashed taxes and said, don't worry, this tax cut will lead to an economic miracle and uh, don't worry about the programs. Well, it didn't lead to an economic miracle. Um, it, um, uh, it, 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 it actually created enormous state deficits and it caused um, the state to have to slash spending on education, guess what? A lot of middle-class Kansans, a lot of middle-class Republican Kansans um, said, we don't like this. We value our uh, public schools. Um, And so um, they elected a Democratic state senator named Laura Kelly, who's now the governor there. um, And she, she actually got elected with support from a lot of Republicans, including former Senator uh, Nancy Kassebaum and former Governor uh, Bill Graves, and that was part of a pattern um, in a whole lot of states around the country. Um, In Michigan, uh, the state switched. Gretchen Whitmer, who's being talked about as a potential VP candidate, got elected uh, with the wonderful slogan, fix the damn roads. You know, everybody says they hate government, but they actually want government to do certain things, and one thing they want the government to do is to keep a decent road system. And uh, some of her consultants were a little worried about her use of that word, "dam," and so they actually tested it with the voters, and it turned out that the voters were far more offended by the condition of the roads than they were by the word, "dam." and so they kept it in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the slogan. And in, in Maine is another example. There's a long list of states that flipped, And uh, your former governor, Tom Vilsack, um, said after those elections, uh, and I quote this in the book because um, it really spoke to the theme of the book, Uh, he said that when you looked at um, all of these candidates, they were moderate in tone, but progressive in thinking. And I think that's where a lot of the states are moving. Uh, By the way, there was also a big shift in the state legislatures after those long, uh, uh, you know, the, a long era of Republican gains that you talked about.
0: EJ, um, along those lines, then, I'm going to ask you to talk about sort of the intellectual uh, or the ideological underpinnings and who's driving that. Um, in Iowa, we in particular have felt the full effects of the Koch brothers and their political arms, uh, particularly in terms of education and, and sort of running a, a blueprint for how to uh, demonize public education and, um, and, and attack uh, public sector unions and so forth and so on. My, my question then, you know, the Koch brothers might be intellectual drivers at the conservative end. Who are the intellectual drivers that you see for the moderates and progressives?
2: Well, I'm not sure I call the Koch brothers the intellectual drivers. I'm not challenging their intelligence, but they were the money drivers. Uh, you oh, know, the, sure. Their power came not from the, – they held their ideas very strongly, but their power came from the ability both to spend uh, um, and uh, raise money. Um, I see a lot of um, – I, I won't talk about my place, the Brookings Institution, which is – Kind of a broad coalition of uh, there are some, uh, some definitely some progressive people there, some moderate people. But we've always had some Republicans, uh, but I look around at places like the Roosevelt Institute in um, in New York. I look at the Center for American Progress. I look at the um, Washington um, Center for Equitable Growth. I look at uh, some people involved in the labor movement itself as intellectual forces. Um, there are an awful lot of, there are some actually, um, there, are, there are some drivers in Congress itself. There are actually, uh, I know people are surprised, but there are some real thinkers uh, in Congress itself. Elizabeth Warren is a good example of somebody who came from the idea, idea world, came from the academy, uh, and entered uh, politics. Um, and I think you're seeing an enormous amount of grassroots funding to begin to try to match the Koch brothers, whether you support or oppose Bernie Sanders, one of the truly impressive things he did uh, was to show how you could finance a very well financed presidential campaign on the basis of small contributions. And everybody has followed that. Barack Obama was the first person to show it, but Bernie really took it uh, to another place. Somebody like uh, AOC has also been able to build an enormous grassroots following. I think that one of the heartening things is that the new technologies really have made it easier for candidates to raise money, not from very rich people, uh, but from uh, middle-class people and even lower middle-class people, 10 bucks from somebody can actually make a difference in a campaign if it's multiplied. And so I think that will be part of the answer to the Koch brothers' power. Uh, I would be for a campaign finance reform where you would create a matching fund where small contributions were matched by this fund, Um, uh, so that you really could have candidates relying only on small money uh, to get elected. I think that would be good for politics. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily favor liberals. Uh, States that uh, have had this system like Arizona, a lot of conservatives have taken advantage of that system, too. There is a grassroots conservative movement as well.
0: All right. Well, we would love to spend about another two hours talking to our guest, but we need to wrap things up. This is the 361st show, and our guest has been E.J. Dion, Jr., Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institute, a syndicated, syndicated columnist for The Washington Post, and university professor in the Foundations of Democracy and Culture at Georgetown University. We've been talking about his book, Code Red, How Progressives and Moderates Can Unite and Save Our Country. The history buff for today's show was Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m., You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com, put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box, and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A radio, all one word, in the search box to find ROI, hit the first icon, and then scroll down to find previously recorded shows. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.